If I can invite you to remain standing, our scripture reading comes this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 24 through 38. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was, born, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If the, this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. This morning is the third Sunday of Lent, a season of reflection and also a time of repentance, a time for us to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Easter. And so this Lent, we've been looking at different individuals from the Bible who have experienced the amazing grace for God for themselves, or they have served as the one who has been chosen to deliver the message of grace to God's people. And so we began our series on Ash Wednesday by looking at the life of King David and the grace he received, uh, specifically looking at 2 Samuel 15 to see when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, arranged to have, have her husband killed, and then uh, Nathan comes and presents to her a parable, to David a parable or a story that causes him to be outraged until Nathan says, you're the guy. And then David realized that it was him that needed to repent. So he repented of his sin. He sought God's forgiveness. And in David's story, we see how he was forgiven and how God's grace was still upon him. Even, and he was still able to be used by God even after what he had done. On the first Sunday of Lent, we looked at the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah comes in an interesting time in the history of Israel. The northern kingdom has fallen to the Assyrians. Uh, the kingdom of Judah has had their king die. And so as Assyria is conquering the Judean king, they're trying to figure out what they're doing in terms of who the next king is and everything else. And so the people are hopeless. 
And so Isaiah was chosen by God to bring a message of hope and of grace to a people that as they looked around and they thought about their situation and what all was happening, they did not have any hope. And so Isaiah reminds us and them that the last word with God is never judgment, it's never despair, it's always a word of grace and it's always a word of hope. Last Sunday we looked at the parable in Luke's gospel that's called the prodigal son. In the parable of Jesus, he shows how the father meets both of his sons where they are at. And so for both sons, the father was ready to forgive and to offer grace before either boy recognized that they needed it. The younger son, grace is given before it was even asked for. For the older son, grace was offered even when the young man did not realize or recognize that he needed grace. And so in this parable, it's easy for us to see how easy it is to take grace for granted. We also see how easy it can be for us to be critical of someone else receiving grace when maybe we feel like the grace that they're receiving is undeserved. All we can do is accept God's grace for ourselves, and to recognize that God's grace is God's to give. All we can choose to do is respond to that grace by living faithfully and by turning in an even greater way each and every day towards God himself. This morning's scripture is one of the longest scriptures in the Gospel of John. It takes the entire ninth chapter of, the book of, the, of this John's Gospel, and so if you have time later today, I encourage you to read it. It's a story about a man who was born blind, and Jesus healed him. And while many of us do not experience blindness in the sense that this man did, this man's story can draw us into looking at our own lives to see the ways that we are blind to the work of God, or we have chosen to be blind to what we are doing and what God wants us to do. And so our own darkness, where we are apart from God, apart from the light, can be a time in our life when we are focused more on our uncertainties and our fears that keep us from trusting in grace, that keep us from trusting in healing, and that keeps us from trusting in God's guidance. And so when it comes to being blind to what God is doing in our lives, I think most of us don't have to look very far. And I think the Gospels also give us a wonderful example in the 12 men that Jesus had chosen to follow him and to journey with him in ministry. Because the disciples just never did. They didn't understand, did they? They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. They didn't understand what often was happening. Even as they witnessed Jesus' interaction with this man as well as so many others in the Gospels, they just didn't get it. So if we look at the scripture this morning, Jesus and his disciples are traveling in the region around Jerusalem. And they come upon a blind man who's been born blind since birth. And I think the disciples did what we all do. They tried to rationalize what they were seeing, didn't they? They said, this man must have sinned. His parents must have sinned. Something has happened to cause his blindness. And this isn't unique to them. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to reason instead with what they're seeing. And so instead of meeting where this man, where he is at, and they're trying to, to pin the blame of, of whatever is happening with him on something that he had no control over. Nor could his parents' actions have caused. So they asked Jesus, well, did he sin? Is he unclean? I mean, what, what's happened? What have his parents done to cause this? I mean, this is the same kind of blindness that we experience. Spiritual blindness as we spend our time and our energy 
trying to figure out what's going on in someone else's life rather than looking to our own. We're blind to our own shortcomings. We're blind to uh, what is going on. We choose to, to focus on what might be possible with someone else. Or maybe we choose to focus on things that we have no control over rather than looking at the things that we ourselves have control over. I mean, this can be us, can't it? Spiritually blind from the things that we do and the things that we leave undone. Blind in how we choose to follow Jesus. Blind in choosing to follow Jesus when it is convenient, but then also when it's inconvenient, looking away or, or it stretches us too far or it challenges our belief or it calls us to repentance or it causes us to be uncomfortable. So I think part of this, this gospel is what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see is that we're blind to the fact that we're all sinners in need of God's mercy. That we need God's mercy because of what we have done and not because of what anyone else has done. I can only confess to the sin that I commit. I can only confess that I am blind to the sin that I commit. I can only acknowledge and confess that um, I'm in need of the same healing as the blind man. Maybe not having mud rubbed on my eyes because that would hurt. <clears throat> but in the physical sense of thinking about it and thinking about what's going on within me and within the lives of others and, and the way that I can choose to pursue God's grace and mercy in an even greater way. As I choose to leave my sin behind and as I choose to pursue that which I know God is calling all of us to do and God is calling all of us to be. So how is the blind man's story a testament of the grace of Jesus? Isn't it a testament of the grace of Jesus? Because he never requested that Jesus heal him. Now there's another gospel story where uh, someone does call out to Jesus and ask for healing. But in this story, in the gospel of John as we read it, the blind man says nothing to Jesus to receive healing. John doesn't tell us of the blind man calling out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, son of Nazareth, heal me. The man didn't call out for mercy. He did not stand up and try to get through the crowds through Jesus. He did not have his friends carry him on a mat and then lower him through the roof of a building to get to Jesus. He didn't, cry to, he didn't try to catch up to Jesus with just the hope that, that he would be able to touch just the edge of his cloak to be healed. John tells us this, that the man was there just as Jesus told his disciples, this happened so the work of God may be displayed in his life. So Jesus is saying, this is happening so that the work of God may be displayed in what you are about to see, what this man is about to experience, what you all are about to witness. It's so that the work of God may be displayed. And so he spits in the dirt in the road. I'm hoping it's on the side of the road because the road dirt would be really dirty. He took the mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. All right, you can see in the map, the Temple Mount's the farthest north, northern point. I have a, a laser pointer, but it's over there. Um, and then the, the pool of Siloam is the farthest south of the, the map that you can see there. So just to get a kind of idea of where Jesus is at and where this man was and where this pool is. Um, interestingly, the pool is 
recently been excavated and is actually about to become a site that people can visit. Um, but, I mean, that's like in the last 10 years, I think. So, um, so the man goes. He goes to this pool. He was never asked by Jesus if he wanted to be healed. All he was given was an opportunity to go and do in his encounter with Jesus. So in the gospel, what Jesus tells this man is just go wash. He smears mud in his eyes. He says, go wash. And basically what he's telling this man is, for you to believe that what I'm doing is possible, you need to go. You need to do, you need to act, so that when you return, you can testify to what has happened. But the man still had to go, didn't he? What would have happened if Jesus would have smeared the mud on his eyes and he wouldn't have gone to the pool to wash? I mean, I don't know. I believe Jesus could have healed him even then, right? I don't believe Jesus needed to smear mud on his eyes to heal him. He could have done it without that. But I believe what Jesus was doing is showing grace and then also showing how we are supposed to respond to the grace that God gives us. Not that we have to. God's, God's grace is not dependent on your response. Now, if you receive it, that, that's what's dependent on how you receive God's grace. And so when the man returns and he says, I am that man, I was blind, I can see, the Pharisees and the authorities begin to focus on, not on what Jesus has done, but they're focused on the fact that it was the Sabbath day. And so as they speak with this man who's been given sight, they say, you know, well, isn't this man a sinner? Isn't this man this? Isn't this man that? And his answer is, I don't even know anything about him. What I do know is he put mud on my eyes. I went and washed, and now I can see. See, I have to believe as we're reading John's gospel in this part that the Pharisees and the authorities, they knew who Jesus was. Were they unable to recognize him? Were they afraid? Were they blind to what God was doing? Were they unwilling to believe that something so miraculous could occur? Were they more worried about what Jesus could do or might do that would attract more followers? Probably. Or were they also so focused on their sins and their own shortcomings that they were able to, unable to see the work of grace and the work of God in the life of another? So I think this morning's story, that's the picture of grace. As we see this blind man receiving the gift of, of sight, not because he acted, asked for it, not because he requested it, not because he called out for it, not because he did anything to attract the attention of Jesus, but this blind man received grace because Jesus saw him and had compassion on him and extended to him the very healing grace of God. This man received the grace of Jesus without asking for it or seeking it because Jesus knows what he needs and Jesus knows what we need. Jesus gave him that grace so that he was able to stand before others and confess, I am that man. The Pharisees and the legal experts were so focused on what all was happening on the legalities of what was occurring, on whether or not Jesus had sinned. They were so focused on the minutia that they were blind to the very work of God in their midst. They could not see. They chose not to see. They couldn't see the confession and they couldn't see the healing. But folks, this is the grace that we've been given. 
a grace that we are offered, not so that we would receive it and not do anything with it, but so that we would receive it and then leave the place that we are at to go to our own pool of Siloam, which is the cross of Jesus, to wash and leave whatever we need to leave there. We have to leave behind the place where Jesus Christ finds us in order to, to set it aside or to give it up or to do whatever we need to do to rid ourselves of those things that truly keep us from worshiping Him and serving Him. See, the blind man's healing was contingent on his action. Not that he didn't earn it. He didn't, he didn't earn it. But it was contingent on him receiving it fully and understanding what that meant for him and his salvation and his faith and everything else. Our faith in our reception of God's grace is the same way. God offers it to you independent of what you have done to buy it or to earn it. But for us to fully receive it, it's contingent on how we choose to live for live. Uh, forward and move forward once we've received it into our lives. But that's what Lent's about. Lent's a time for us to confess to our blindness, to confess where we have limited our grace, to confess where we choose where to offer grace and where we choose not to offer grace, to confess the areas that we choose not to leave things behind, but instead we choose to cling to them knowing that they hold us back from worshiping God, from serving Him, and from growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because once we receive grace, the only thing we can say is, I am that man. I am that woman. I was blind. And now I am able to see. Amen. <clears throat>